Well, we are back in our uh, sermon series on the book of Hebrews, and because of various reasons, I don't have any slides today, so we have to do the old-fashioned thing of one of these, you remember one of these? Paper. So we have a Bible, should be a pew in front of you on the back, and so if you want to turn to Hebrews chapter uh, 5, verse 11... That's on page 1187 in those red pew Bibles. Um, we will be going through 511 to 612 this morning. And as you're turning there, um, really this, this sermon today is, is it's a passage about spiritual infancy versus spiritual maturity. And it's kind of sandwiched with a, uh, a, a, a warning of, uh, you know, to, to not remain a spiritual infant. And so as the author uses the language of infant, I want to imagine with you just for a moment, if you as an, as an adult, if you never moved past your habits and actions of being an infant, not like a child, I mean an infant, okay? So for example, you're talking to somebody and you just suddenly just spit up white milk out of nowhere and it's like nothing ever happened. You're just like, you just threw up. And then it just happens, right? Or maybe you're the, you know, you're, you just refuse to walk and just kind of like sit around. Maybe you roll to your destination. I never crawled, I rolled, you know, when I was an infant. Um, everything in sight, you just grab and want to eat and put it in your mouth, right? Like if you're in a pew, you're looking for like something, a little crumb, just like something to put into your mouth. That's what infants do, Right? You don't use words, you just giggle and make, you know, gurgling noises all day, and your grocery bill is full of nothing but baby food pouches. Like, this is a silly thing, right? Because, obviously, we don't stay as infants. We, we grow past these things, right? But it is possible to be a follower of Jesus and still buying those pouches of baby food, if you get what I'm saying. It's so easy to be a follower of Jesus and not be walking yet and still kind of rolling around on the floor to get across the room. But is it possible, um, uh, uh, is it possible to be a follower of Jesus and remain in spiritual infancy? The answer is, we'll, we'll walk through that. The answer is ultimately yes, but we're going to see there's, there's some warnings attached to that. For followers of Jesus... Um, is changing into his likeness, should we consider that as something that should be almost inevitable to some degree, right? And what does it mean when we say something like that? These are the questions that kind of surface from this, this passage, which for many is controversial, but I'm hoping to not to show you. It's really not that controversial. So anyway, beginning in verse 11, let us begin in chapter 5. We have much to say about this. If you remember a couple of weeks ago, we, we went into Jesus, who, how he learned obedience, right? You can go back and think about some pretty, pretty heavy stuff we talked about a few weeks ago. And he says, we have a whole lot to say about this, but it is hard to explain because you're slow to learn, right? So, um, it, it, you know, the Bible is not written in English, right? So if you wanted to get kind of the, the word picture that the original language is putting out there, um, a more literal translation, that's not the NIV, might say something like dole of hearing. But if you were to like literally just put it into English, it would say something like, you got lazy ears. 
I think it's kind of a funny way I'm going to start using that myself, right? It's hard to explain because your ears are lazy. Maybe you're hard of hearing is another idiom we might use, right? There's a lot to learn about following Jesus. There's so much to learn about following Jesus, but you, your ears have gotten a little lazy. There's stuff going into them, but they're not having the impact that it should, right? And he keeps going in verse 12. In fact, though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you the elementary truths of God's word all over again. You need milk, not solid food. Anyone who lives on milk, still being an infant, is not acquainted with the teaching about righteousness. But solid food is for the mature, who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. Um, Paul says, um, yeah, 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 something similar in 1 Corinthians 3. But yeah, so this passage, you know, solid food is for the mature who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. So that's an interesting statement. Trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. There's a statement that we know that is false that you hear you know, out there that those who cannot do teach, right? And we know that's not like a, a real thing, Okay. But to help understand the thrust of what this passage is doing, I want to kind of get that statement and, um, and alter it a little bit to say those who teach are those who can do. Just stick with that. This be kind of the theme of today here. Speaking to this Christian church, he says that spiritual infancy is perpetuated with a lack of training to distinguish between good and evil. A lack of training. Infancy, then, is not being acquainted with a teaching about righteousness. In other words, the maturity that comes with following Jesus is not being, uh, the maturity of following Jesus, okay, is not to be stuck in the basics, okay? I want to focus on through, he says, through constant use or by constant practice. Another possibility to put it in English is through constant habits, giving some substance to the process of maturing in Christ. Constant use, constant habit. All right, so I want to try to nail down, I think, to how to bring this into 2023 in a meaningful way. So in modern times, okay, if you have any kind of, you know, uh, uh, time in the Christian church, okay, um, the church talks a lot about discipleship, and we surely do here at Emmanuel Church. We talk about discipleship, and that word really means being apprentices of Jesus, right? Learning how he lived and learning to embody his life in our life just like an apprentice would do if they're learning a new skill or a new trade. That's what being a, a disciple truly is. And I do believe often we fall short about what that conversation truly is in Scripture. I've known a lot of followers of Jesus who um, really nailed down in certain areas, hear me out, the right maybe Christian things to say at the right time, the right Christian things to do, in the right Christian kind of scenarios, or maybe, you know, in front of other people, when it really counts, they can, you know, embody certain things to, to maybe convince somebody, like, I, I got it all together. I'm following Jesus. I'm good. And maybe other people would say, man, that person is so mature in their faith. But then maybe you, you meet one of their coworkers, right? 
or you spend some time with their spouse when that person's not around and you hear stories or, you know, et cetera and so forth. Um, or maybe you yourself one day, like you kind of gently, you know, I don't know, call them out or just, you know, uh, uh, correct them about something and suddenly it's like you discover, oh, there's like a different person here that I didn't imagine this person to be. Like what is, what's going on here? And like I'm not really talking about weak moments. We all have weak moments, okay? You're sick, you're tired, you just do something stupid one day because you're just a human weakness. That's what it means to be a human being. And I'm not really talking about that. What I'm talking about is those parts of our life that are just untouched by Christ, unformed by him. In certain parts that we kind of like learn to play this game of appearing to be formed by him, but really the deep inner transformation that he wants to bring to our life, it's not there and we remain in spiritual infancy. And this is really kind of easy to do because our society today is incredibly fragmented, incredibly fragmented, right? Um, uh, We have all these different parts of our life that in our society, there's little connected to them. Our work, our home life, you know, um, this, the hobbies we may have or friendships here or there, whatever. These can all be like different parts of our life that just remain, unnecessary. they don't need to be really connected. You just, you kind of go into that and then you leave that, right? And there's no connection. And so um, our, I think our society today has kind of trained us to say like, well, you can like be what you need to be at work to make that, work, you know, happen and make it be successful. But then when you leave that place, like you can just be what you need to be in the next spot to make that work okay. And, and then these two things aren't really connected. And so I think often we can kind of come to Jesus in the same kind of way saying, well, this is what church is and how I should behave like a Christian. And I'll learn that new kind of routine there. And then when you leave, you know, you're back into the, your job or what not. And your heart becomes, again, not fully formed in Christ, and you remain as spiritual infants. Maturity is through the constant use of the solid food of God's word in all areas of your life. Read that one more time. Um, he, he says in verse 12, in fact, you ought by this time to be teachers. You need someone to teach you the elementary truths of God's word all over again. You need milk, not solid food. Right? Solid food is for the mature. What is a solid food? The solid food is God's word. Constant use of the solid food of God's word in all areas. Not just one, but in all areas. Home life, public life, work life. That all the ways of your heart are united in your desire after God and practicing the solid food of his word. Uh, Soren Kierkegaard, uh, a famous philosopher who was also a Christian, wrote a book once that he called, he called it this, the purity of heart is to will one thing. Just think about that statement. The purity of heart is to will one thing. King David once said in the psalm, he said, in the prayer, unite my heart to fear your name. Unite my heart. Implication being, it's not really united often. It's desiring this, it's this, it's fragmented, it's broken up, and God wants to make you whole and bring you together and give you a common singular direction for your life in which you are to walk, which is to become like his son, to experience maturity. That is when real maturity develops. Real maturity in Christ begins when we know that one moment in our lives 
should exist where we should not be seeking to live as Jesus lived and to do the things that he did. Like if I invite you into my home, you were to follow me around all day, seeing my daily habits when the doors open or closed, observing my parenting or being a husband and how I speak and treat my wife Alexandra, how I interact with strangers at coffee shops or whatever, like there should be no disconnect, right? There should be no major disconnects if you're walking with me in all those spheres of my life. And I want to just say something here. I know this is, this is hard, maybe seem like hard things, and we'll get to an argument where I will say, well, it doesn't have to be hard through constant practice, but there's freedom in that kind of life that Jesus wants us to live. Like, you understand what I mean by freedom, right? You're truly free to be who you are and not have to worry about some front or game to kind of play and all these, like, you just be yourself in Christ in all of those areas and there's freedom to simply just live. Are you guys tracking with me here? And that's maturity, right? That's spiritual maturity, He continues on in verse 1 in chapter 6. Let us therefore leave the elementary teachings about Christ and go on to maturity, not laying again the foundation of repentance from acts that lead to death and of faith in God, instruction about baptisms, the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment, and God permitting, we will do so. Some of these terms are a little ambiguous. We're not going to spend a lot of time breaking apart every single one. But here's just the basic list, right? These are the elementary teachings that the author says here. A foundation of repentance from dead works, from dead acts. That is a foundation of not just confessing, but the word repentance means a 180, like it's turning. You're confessing, but as you're confessing, you're, you're committing yourself to be turning from that, right? That's a foundation of Christianity. This is when we recognize acts that lead to death in our lives, we say, oh, Lord, like, I, don't, I don't want this in my life. I don't want this stain in my life. It's, this is destructive. So as I repent, Lord, I'm going to commit myself to turn and to face this way and to walk in the newness of life that you would have for me. That's like one of those foundational things that is one of the basis of Christianity, right? Baptism. Uh, we saw some baptisms a few weeks ago, right? A laying on of hands. Used in many ways throughout Scripture, <clears throat> Um, uh, issues of commissioning, commissioning men and women for new tasks. We see that in the book of Acts and also in Joshua as he was replacing Moses, people laying hands on them and, and commissioning them. Um, we see laying on the hands is also commonly used in supernatural acts of healing found throughout the ministry of Jesus and in the apostles in the book of Acts. We also see associated with many receiving the Holy Spirit through the laying on of hands. But the main emphasis of laying on of hands is to emphasize that, you know, I, I can't be alone in my room and somebody pray for me and lay their hands on me if I'm alone, right? One of the big emphasis there is that a foundational piece of Christianity is that you're, you're with one another, you're ministering to each other. You're trying to hear from God on behalf of one another and speaking into each other's life. And as you minister and pray with them, you're, you're laying your hand on the shoulder and saying, I'm going to pray for you. And there's a recognition that, that there's a body of believers around you, surrounding you. You can't do this stuff alone, right? And that's one of the emphasis that surfaces from there. The resurrection of the dead. We don't question the resurrection of the dead as Christians because Jesus resurrected. Without the resurrection of Jesus, 
Our faith is in vain, says the Apostle Paul. These are basic things in eternal judgment. He's cutting back to judge the world, to judge the living and the dead. These are the <coughs> basic foundational things here. But I want you to consider something about how we understand what we call the basics here. Have you ever driven home from work and then you're um, home and you're like, oh, I'm home. And you don't remember the car ride home. That ever happened to you? Right? Yeah, it happens to kind of all of us. The same drive, the same routine, and you wind up at home and you're like, I don't fully recall how I got here. I remember a couple of green lights and this and that, but it, I'm here. You're just, it's just so familiar, right? It's like the air you breathe. It's just, you've practiced it so many times that it's just second nature for you to take that right and that left and to go through there and, you know, wait at that one light that's really long and then you're home, right? But imagine a scenario where you're driving home for the 169th time on the same, same route and you get lost every single time. You're just like, no idea, you're just lost, or you keep forgetting how the brake pedal works in your car. You just can't figure out for 170th time driving the car how to make it stop, right? Or what a green light means. Like this is a silly scenario, right? Because of course you would know these things if you practice these things all the time. They would become secondhand nature to know, oh, yellow means to really hit that gas, right? I did that this weekend and had the wonderful flashing lights behind me. Right? These are just routine things we learn. So really following Jesus, and this is what I'm going to argue this morning, it can become like that. Like you can bring yourself to a place of maturity in Christ where it's like in your daily life, it's like responding as Jesus would, even in the weakness of your human flesh, yeah, without not perfection or things like that, but it's going to become more and more from the day you, you meet Christ into the, your dying breath more and more continually, like driving home from work every single day. It's going to become more like second nature of responding to these situations in your life like Jesus would, or learning to love others like you would. As life changes and new things come, it's just continually, be, it can become like a second nature for you, and that's maturity here. And we'll be talking more about that here in a minute, but there's a warning we're about to get into, right, that says, well, yeah, if you're driving for the 150th time and you can't figure out where the gas pedal is still, like we should be asking maybe some questions. Like, do you really even want to learn how to drive? Do you even really care? Right? Like, what have you ever like tried to help somebody or train somebody in something, and you just exhausted yourself teaching them every single thing you know, and they're just like, I don't know. Like, what happens next? You're just like, I don't know. I'm done. Like, there's nothing left. I got nothing left for you. There's nothing left here. If you still don't know what a green light means on like day 200 of driving, like I don't know what to say. Like, I'm done. What training is there left for somebody like that? <clears throat> this is where the argument goes next for the warning. It is impossible for those who had once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift, who have shared in the Holy Spirit, who have tasted the goodness of the word of God and the powers of the coming age, if they fall away, it is impossible, verse 4 there, to be brought back to repentance, 
because to their loss, they are crucifying the Son of God all over again and subjecting him to public disgrace. Now, for many Christians, that can be a terrifying passage, and hopefully when we're done, it won't be so scary, okay? Because oftentimes, Christians read this, and they say, oh man, like, is, like, is that me? Like, I, can I fall away so like, bad that I can't even repent of sin anymore? Like, is, is it, can I like lose this? this? This salvation that I have? Is this what this passage is telling me? If I do something just really seriously bad that it's just kind of game over for me? Is that what this says? The answer is, that's not exactly what this passage is even really about. Uh, maybe partially, but not really. Because in context, remember, context is king when reading the Bible. People who are stuck in spiritual infancy, who are not really growing in Christ as they should, they're still buying the baby pouches at ShopRite instead of having a steak, right? Perhaps they were never really followers of Jesus to begin with. And this is a question that the author surfaces here. Because... It is possible to, you know, to attend church, right? Um, Even try to commit yourself to following Jesus. It's possible to even experience him, to even experience the power of the spirit, whether one-on-one on yourself or even in somebody around you. And this this paragraph describes that power as the power, um, powers of the coming age, that's that kingdom language, right? The powers of heaven that's breaking into the present that belongs in that future day when Christ renews all things when he returns. It's, it can be manifested here today through the Spirit. It is possible to, to even share in those things, partake in the work of the Spirit, being enlightened and hearing the gospel being preached to you and still be like, nah, and just like that person that you're, you've exhausted yourself and just revealing everything you know about a certain topic, and that person's just like, I don't know. I don't really, I don't get it. I don't really care. What's left for them? Let's work through this. These are some foundational things, right? The Spirit's work in our life and having an encounter with God, whether it's just a more dramatic encounter where you just feel, you know, the weightiness of His presence that just presses you down to your knees or even down on your face or just even that soft little whisper in your ear, those kind of encounter experiences, right? These are all like kind of foundational things. These infant Christians in this church had, apparently had experiences of this kind and have been enlightened when hearing the teachings of the gospel. And many were simply still not growing, which in the context of this passage is phrased in the constant use of the solid food, the practicing, the training of, uh, of righteousness that he mentioned earlier, of becoming an apprentice of Jesus. So he says, if you have all this in your kind of your story, then you still just with a hard heart walk away from this. Outside of these things, like there's not much else that's going to happen to reveal to you the love of God and who he is and to reveal to you the gospel message. It's like that person who went through driver's ed and after the 150th time driving still can't figure out how to use the brake pedal and the gas pedal, right? Like what's left for them? There's not much left for them. They begin the chance to learn and experience everything. This is the same thing for us as human beings trying to follow Jesus. Um, if, If you've been healed by him or witnessed someone being healed, through prayer, 
right? If you've heard a sermon on the good news of Jesus, him dying for your sins and being raised from the dead, that you too may walk in newness of life. If you fall away, it's not like there's something else in your life that that can happen that has not already yet happened. There's nothing really left for you. It's like those who crucified Jesus, okay? They saw him healed people. They saw him teach a great authority. Many in that crowd maybe even had dinner with him, maybe even were recipients of being healed by him. And they still yelled, crucify, crucify. And that is why the author says here that those who fall away are crucifying the Son of God all over again and subjecting him to public disgrace. Many in that crowd at one point were followers of him who then found themselves saying, crucify, crucify. So if you say, I'm a follower of Jesus, but then you just completely fall away and disown him, you're just like one of them saying, crucify, crucify, publicly. You guys understand this. This is something that happens in the Bible too. We talked about the wilderness generation a few weeks ago. The wilderness generation in the book of um, Exodus and Numbers that, you know, Paul talks about this in 1 Corinthians 10, 1 through 5, it says this. I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that our fathers were all under the cloud and passed through the sea. They were all baptized into Moses in the cloud and the sea. They all ate the same spiritual food and drank the same spiritual drink. From, for they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them, and the rock was Christ. Nevertheless, with most of them, God was not pleased, for they were overthrown in the wilderness. So just to remind you of that story, okay? This is a generation of people who literally saw these plagues happen in Egypt, the most unbelievable acts of God recorded in Scripture. They were freed from Egypt, okay? They were standing from an ocean. It was split in half, and they walked on dry ground. Every morning when they woke up in the wilderness, there was food that, like, fell out of the sky for them. And in one instance, when they were thirsty, God made this rock in the desert just burst open with a flood of water, now, you may hear all that and say, whew, their faith must have been so good. Like, they saw all of that. How could they ever doubt? Well, just read the story. All they did was complain and grumble. And they even all the time said, man, wasn't Egypt great when we were in slavery? Wasn't that so much better than this free food that falls out of the sky? Psh. What's left for them? Right? And that's kind of what the conversation is here. What's left for them? Paul says, don't be like them, guys. And the author of Hebrews says, don't do that. Like, if you get seen God work in your life, don't turn a hard heart because the warning is there's not another work left here. This is, this is what's presented to you. This is what God is going to continue to do in your life. So embrace his work. If you, if you walk away, there's a strong warning. It's what's left for you? But what does it mean to fall away? That's an important piece here. What does it mean to fall away? Now, I want to free you from this. Falling away does not mean I did something really stupid yesterday. Okay? That's like a miniature falling away. Sure, it's called sin. It's important that we think we talk about that. We're going to talk about that. But there's something bigger about falling away that he's talking about. It's not just like I did something bad yesterday that I feel really just dirty for this morning that I just want to come and just repent and just ask for forgiveness. That's, that's not really what this, this, this author is talking about. It's talking about the person who just kind of floats away from Jesus and says, I don't really care anymore. I just don't care. Okay? 
It's unlike King David. King David, okay, just to understand here, like, God is a God of grace with whom even the worst, the most horrendous of behaviors, he can forgive you and wash you of your sins. King David, okay, has a one-night stand with a woman, a wife of one of his best soldiers. She's pregnant. He murders his best soldier in order to kind of hide his shame, and he's called out on his sin. And what does he do? He says, I've sinned. And the very next verse says, God has put away your sin. You're clean. Okay? There's always forgiveness with a repentant and sorrowful heart. Now, if David was called out and he said, I don't care, it's a different story. You guys understand that? It's a different story. So, friends, especially those in the younger faith, I want you to, first off, just release your anxiety, okay? That says, like, yeah, I did something stupid yesterday. Does that mean that I've fallen away, that I can't repent? And the answer is, if you still want to repent and you're still sorrowful, the answer is, like, you're you're fine, okay? There's, there's nothing but forgiveness available for you. Now, let's talk about how to walk in his newness. Let's have that conversation, but there's not like a, like a sin where God's watching is, oh, that one? Sorry. Nope. Sorry. Like, you just can't go to church anymore. Like, just don't do it, all right? You're done. Like, that's not falling away. All right, that's a really important piece. Can I say here, yes, amen? Okay, good. So we're tracking with that. I grew up in the church, okay? There's a ton of people my age who, who um, I, I, just not my age, just in general, um, that, that the church, I, and I'm going to talk about now a, a different kind of falling away that I think can happen when the church does not preach about these things correctly. When the good news of Jesus is not really spoken of in the way that the scriptures present it. Because there's a different kind of falling away that I think happens. Maybe it's not really even falling away because maybe people didn't really even hear the good news of Jesus to begin with. The fact is that, that um, churches kind of like ours, if we're not careful, we can present the good news of Jesus wrongly, okay? And we're also in kind of a, a religious part of the country where many of you may have um, a Christianity, but more like an nominal religious kind of background. And so just I'm going to say a couple of things here about this. We can present following Jesus to you in a way that is not really how the scriptures speak of it and kind of trap you in spiritual infancy for a very long time and even um, in doing so, even prevent you from growing in your faith. Um, there's, there's kind of two gospels that are often taught. One's the right one. Another one is what Dallas Willard calls the gospel of sin management. Okay, the gospel of sin management. What does he mean by that? That's the gospel of Jesus that says, again, this is not really a gospel at all, that says you just need to learn to manage your behavior and do the right things and really don't do the bad things. Because Jesus primarily came to just deal with your sin. And that's it. So, you know, once you've, you know, you're forgiven of your sin, just learn to do the right things and just don't be found doing the sin stuff. This has given birth over the course of a few generations to a whole Christian culture, just a whole list of do's and don'ts. That kind of leads you to things like, well, okay, so if I'm following Jesus, here's the right kind of music or the right kind of movies or the right kind of this, or the right kind of that. And, um, and you just kind of learn this new like game, but really deep inside, this is, this is kind of how I grew up in the church, guys. And deep inside, I realized as I got older, there was massive parts of my life 
that I have had almost built up these like defensive mechanisms of just like doing these right Christian behaviors and not really letting Jesus like grab me in the deepest innermost parts of my soul and insert his spirit into the change and the transform. I just learn the do's and don'ts really well because the gospel sin management says that's all that they're really, that's all that's really needed. Dallas Willard says it like this. History has brought us to the point where the Christian message is thought to be essentially concerned only how to deal with sin, with wrongdoing or wrongbeing and its effects. Life, our actual existence, is not included in what is now presented as the heart of the Christian message, or maybe only it's included marginally. When we examine the broad spectrum of Christian proclamation and practice, we see that the only thing made essential on the, the right wing of theology is the forgiveness of the individual sins. On the left is a removal of social or structural evils. The current gospel then becomes a gospel of sin management. Transformation of life and character is no part of the redemptive message. And he later says these creates vampire Christians who only want a little blood for their sins but little to do with Jesus until they get to heaven to be with him. It's an interesting way to put that, right? Could this be why many people have fallen away from the church? Because they think that that's what it means to follow Jesus, is those do's and don'ts and sin management? Because they're never really given the fullness of the gospel. And so when we see people fall away, we call it falling away when in reality they haven't really heard the, the genuine life-transforming good news of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. The genuine good news of Jesus is this. Come, cast your faith on me and follow me. Turn from your sins. I will cleanse you from your sins. I will unleash my love and grace on your life as I give you my Holy Spirit, and out of you will flow fresh living waters that will transform you. I will give you a new life that bears the lightness and very power of heaven itself. God's kingdom will come upon you, but you must first come and follow me. That's the call of the gospel when we follow Jesus. A life that is forgiven of your sins, but man, a call that says you get to be transformed into the very image of Christ and receive the very power of heaven in your life as you live. That's like a little side conversation that I'm done with that. Because this, this passage ultimately is about those who were given the true gospel, who experienced the power of God and all those things and still kind of fell away. And he uses an agricultural kind of image here to talk about it further. He says in verse 7, Land that drinks in the rain, often falling on it, that produces a crop useful to those for whom it is farmed receives the blessing of God. But land that produces thorns and thistles is worthless. And in the, day, in the end, um, danger of being cursed. In the end, it will be burned. And again, this is the context of those who have experienced all those things and fallen away. All the work of God in their life did not produce fruit. So what else can be planted? Just like a bad soil. No matter how many times you'll plant good things in bad soil, there's not going to be fruit that's born, right? Land that doesn't drink in the rain will just produce thorn and thistles. And there's no use for them, right? And that's the imagery used for people who experience those things and walk away. But in verse 9, on a hopeful note, he says this. 
Even though we speak like this, dear friends, we are confident of better things in your case, things that accompany salvation. Things that accompany salvation. God is not unjust. He will not forget your work and the love you have shown him <clears throat> as you have helped his people and continue to help them. We want each of you to show the same diligence to the very end in order to make your hope sure. We do not want you to become lazy, but to imitate those who through faith and patience inherit what has been promised. After this morning, he says, we're confident many of, that even though some of you may be stunted in your spiritual maturity, we're confident that you're in Christ. And look at what he says. He says, things that accompany salvation, okay? How so? Verse 10, God is not unjust. He will not forget your work and the love you have shown him as you have helped his people and continue to help them and continue to help them. When they asked Jesus, what is the whole Bible about? How do you sum up the whole book? What did he say? Love God and love your neighbor as yourself. Do you see how that's there, right? What is the evidence of that they're in Christ, that their salvation is theirs? Like, you guys have shown time and time again your love of God and your love of one another. And you're still doing that today. You're still showing that love today. And he says, if you keep on doing that, right? Keep on pursuing that same diligence to the very end. If you are unsure of where you are in Christ, really just keep doing that. Like keep practicing that and your hope will be made sure. That's what he says. Your hope will be made sure. Keep doing the things Jesus did. Keep loving God. Keep loving your neighbor. Keep practicing these things and you will have assurance that you are in him. And again, we can do a lot of Christian looking things, we can master a lot of religious actions and have no love for God or neighbor and have very cold hearts and just mean hearts, but do a lot of the Christian things, right? And that's not maturity, right? That's spiritual infancy. Don't play that game. He wants all of you. He wants all of your love. Purity of heart is the desire to will one thing in your life, the love of God and love of neighbor, and so as we um, kind of close here, I want to read some, some verses from John 15 that kind of explain this, and we'll ask a few questions. These are from the words of Jesus himself. And I hope this is just encouragement, because what we're talking about here when we say, well, okay, how do you grow then? What does maturity look like? We were just presented with kind of the answer there. Love God and love your neighbor. It's not very complex. I think all of you can take a step today to say, Am I, what does my love of God look like in my life? Am I loving my neighbor? Am I loving the person sitting next to me in the pew? Am I loving my spouse? Am I loving my coworkers? Like, am I living a life of love? Then am I living a life of loving God? Like, these are basic things that you can practice today. And I think Jesus is calling us to this, and he, he expects this of us. John 15, 1 through 8, okay? This is what it says. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. As a branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in me, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him it is he that bears much fruit. From apart from me, you can do 
nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, you wish, and it will be done for you. By this, my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. One more time. By this, my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit, and prove to me my disciples. Number one, first question, are you in spiritual infancy today? Are you here and you're kind of hearing some of these things you recognize like, maybe I'm stuck. Like maybe I feel like I'm stuck. Well, there's really good news for you is as long as you have a heartbeat and the Spirit's in you, today's the day to take a step forward. Say, Lord, I want to walk in maturity. Like I want to grow. I want to be fully transformed to your likeness. Lord, take me today. Just take all of me. I'm so sick of like living this double game here. Lord, take my heart. The time is now to lean and press into the following Jesus, not tomorrow. The time is now to walk in these things. And if you're here to say, well, pastor, I just got baptized just recently. Like I am a spiritual infant. Like I'm really new in this here. Is this bad? And the answer is no. Like we start anywhere and everywhere, okay? We, we, we start somewhere is what I mean to say. We start somewhere. All of us have to start at the beginning of being a spiritual infant. We all started there in following Jesus. So if the word of this sermon is, please don't stay there. That's the word. If you recognize your spiritual infancy, whether you just were saved or baptized, you've been walking with Jesus for far too long, you realize there's parts that are just so immature in my life in Christ. It's like, I'm happy you see those things. Just don't stay there. Just don't stay there. Don't be comfortable there. Don't be cozy there. Okay? Be uneasy in your spiritual infancy. And say, Lord, I want to grow. And so this time I want to call up our, um, our worship team and um, I'm going to pray in a minute. You're going to hear from our, our prayer team and I want to just pray for you right now. Um, Lord, I, I ask right now, Lord, Lord, I, I so, I just think of myself, Lord, and just, this has been just a message on my heart for just so long, Lord, that I'm just, I don't want some, just you to have some parts of my heart, Lord. I don't want to just create this way of life that learns to deflect in certain areas and just not let you have control over those things and just have control of some of my life. Lord, I want you to have all of me, Lord. I want you to have all of me. I pray that the same prayer for this church. Lord, may we desire you to have all of us, Lord. Not one inch of our hearts, Lord, is, is not given over to you or at least you're not invited into, Lord.